Hello everyone, this is episode number 22 of the Let's Talk Retouching podcast. Follow along when we talk with industry leaders and professional retouchers about all things post-production. In today's episode, we will continue our conversation with Jan Wischemann, a retoucher from Germany. He is going about his workflow, the tools he is using, how he changed his retouching business over the years, and along the way, will give plenty of tips for you to put into practice. So let's dive right into today's episode. I now want to switch to you. What are the tools you're actually using to get work done? So like, how does your your workspace look like and your um the tools that enable you to to work on on images well i um i'm i'm working uh in a mac environment i have mac pro and uh, i have a, a large iso screen which is uh, of course is calibrated to the industry standards so that i can deliver like precise color work and um Yeah, and I, I guess for advertising, you definitely work with web and print related profiles usually yes. to work on the images. Yes. And it's not just one fixed setup that never changes. No, um, well, most of the time we, uh, of course, we work with raw images. That That is mostly what we get. If we don't get these images, um, we have of course uh, like the rgb color profile and like adobe rgb for example and it is turned or converted into cmyk when we deliver files to to be proofed uh, in a in a with a proof printer which is very common uh, in in advertising world you have to have the proof uh, prints to show the client what it would look like in prints and uh If you work for um, for digital, you um, you work uh, in in an RGB workflow and deliver either in uh, Adobe RGB and they convert it to their profiles they need, or you deliver in sRGB. Uh, my other uh, hardware tools are Wacom Graphic uh, tablets. What's yeah? Which one do you have? Just curious. Uh, I work with uh, the latest Intuos Pro. Uh, the the large version. Uh-huh. Is that one um, that has the exchangeable surfaces? Yeah, it does. Um, oh, that's great. It does have like... e exchangeable surfaces. And it's, um, I decided that I uh, want to work with the 3D pen mm -hmm. um, because it has, it has three buttons. And that's the, oh. the main reason. I have two buttons that I use to like uh, change the the brush size and uh the the hardness of the brush and uh, the third one is to uh, activate the on-screen menu because i have a lot of presets uh, like brush presets or um, adjustment layers uh, yeah. Yeah. that i have on the on-screen menu so that i don't have to go to the photoshop layer menu all uh -huh. the time if i want a new adjustment layer and that uh, enabled me to finally um have these tools all at hand since they have the three button pen which is uh awesome <laughs> yeah it's it's also interesting how different we are so i i have um this other grip at my pen that is a little bit thicker um because i find it puts less stress on my knuckles when holding the pen for hours and hours okay and that one does not have the option to have any buttons on the pen Oh. So 
I have put everything on a special gaming shortcut keyboard mm -hmm. and I have basically it's a macro keyboard that's on the left side of my my uh, keyboard and there I have programmed every command that I usually need. So for creating a new layer, for creating groups, for going layers up and down and all that stuff. But yeah, so I trained myself off of using the, the painting keys because I was used to also using a right click on it for the submenu mm -hmm. on, and also doing step back in the history with a pen click and uh, now I'm doing it all on the left side and not using any keys. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, it doesn't matter how, how someone else uh, works, you got to find your way. And um, I, uh, I found that this was pretty handy for me and I like using uh, the regular keyboard and the shortcuts. I think my left hand is glued to the keyboard. I, I it, 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 uh, it sometimes works apart from my brain. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. You have to, you definitely have to learn sh keyboard shortcuts. Otherwise it's, it's taking you probably forever and you have to lift your arm all the time to get to menu and so on and so on. So everyone who's not using keyboard shortcuts, uh, shame on you. <laughs> you, you should get used to it. Yeah. It, it makes your life way easier. Oh, yeah. Either way is good. Usually it starts with uh, forcing yourself to learn the keyboard shortcuts and everything. But after doing that for a few days, you end up wondering how the hell you could have done that before without the keyboard shortcuts and how you see how much you uh, might have wasted time. And that's an experience by uh, itself. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. But I think that's part of the journey. You get used to keyboard shortcuts. Oh, yes. But it also happens with every application. So every time you start, you're usually not using keyboard shortcuts, be it for audio editing video. And then you hit the stage where like, nope, it's just taking too much time. I have to figure out all the keyboard shortcuts and be more efficient. And efficiency is a big part of of how we retouches have to work is like we have to work smart and we also have to work fast one part is to figure out ways throughout the process in terms of the workflow and the other one is like the more hand movements and the more time we waste it just adds up and we have to be super precise so we can spend the time on more important things absolutely now that you just spoke about how different uh, retouches can be i I found it very much easier to work with a larger Wacom uh, board since I can draw, for instance, hair much yeah. more um, precise. Mm -hmm. uh, if I work on a very small one and I know people that have a small one and even oh, yes. reduce the, the active size, I can understand yes. that to I some point. But yeah, I understand that, as I said, uh, it, it is, I tried that too, but, but yeah. when I have to draw uh, hair and then when I have to be very um, precise, then uh, it makes my life much easier if I have a larger pen uh, tablet and um, that's yeah. just my two cents. On and it. there's also, um, so on the tablets, you have the option to, on the Wacom tablets, you have the option to activate something like a precise mode. Some people are working yes. with that. I'm not using it, but what I found is I like to compare it to how people are using the mouse so that like 
way back when I was a little bit younger, I was playing a lot of games like Ego Shooters, Counter-Strike and stuff. And I found there are different people having way different preferences in mouse sensitivity. And I was one who had an insane high sensitivity because I didn't want to move my hand. It takes time to get used to it because your hand movements have to be much more precise because you are basically making a very small movement compared to someone who has a lower sensitivity or in our field now retouching a larger space to work with, you have much more precision because you are allowed to move your hand further. Also with the Wacom tablets, at some point you get to a point where your hand cannot be more precise and you will find yourself struggling to um, work on very fine and small details. Of course, we can zoom in and zoom out, but for everyone there is a limit and you, it's also up to you to find how large or small your area has to be uh, depending on the preference natural preference you might have with your hand movements so that's something that is very specific to every person and i think you only can set the usable or map the area that you're using on the tablet on the pro series um, the other ones, I think you cannot do it. So the uh, Cintiq line, you usually can do it. And the Intuos Pro line, when I'm correct with that. So that's something I recommend trying. If you can get to a trade show or wherever you can try out the tablets, I'm not sure how you do it. Look at yourself, how you set your mouse speed, if you're using a mouse uh, or get your hands on a tablet. Uh, I think there are, um, depending on the city you're in and the state you're in, there are Wacom Experience Center somewhere around the world. Then they are always at trade shows. Yeah, get your hands on it, get some experience in it. And also it takes like usually... Uh, when you get something and uh, a day or two to get used to how things work every time you make a change in it yeah so that's my recommendation for it but that's how different we are and good thing they have options for us right absolutely <laughs> that's true so you have your mac computer that you're working in, uh, with your wacom tablets which is a large one, um, then using keyboard shortcuts so you don't have any other accessories for retouching. ISO monitor you mentioned, um, calibration device, or is it? It's built in the in the ISO, I guess. Uh, yeah, it is built in, but I use um, X-Rite i1 color manager. Oh, yeah. I just found that it is a little more uh, precise mm -hmm. and. Uh, but that is a personal preference, I think. It definitely is. People always think just if they have a calibrator and go through the process one time, they're all set. And it can happen that uh, a device, so it's an optical device, it uh, is prone to certain environmental changes that can affect the reading. So they might have a bad reading throughout the uh, the process and that might eventually also end up screwing your profile so you ha might end up doing it again and stuff like this so uh, and not every calibrator is the same there are different technologies yeah so and they're using different materials as well so yeah you're using x-rite i also use an x-rite and I'm super happy with it, even though it's an older one. The one you have, is it one just for monitors or does it also um, calibrate printers and, uh, and projectors? 
The one that I use is for uh, monitors, I think, but uh, we do have a different one that is also um, capable of calibrating other devices. Yeah. But I, I'm not sure about that name. To be to be very honest, uh, it's also X right, but I, I don't, I don't know what it's called. Yeah, it's an i1 Pro, and they changed yeah. the naming also slightly uh, throughout the 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 years. But um, yeah, that's usually when when you when you have to create printer profiles and stuff like this. That's sure. Yes, something you you have to have, and they're different technology. I think they're also. Interestingly, to get a little bit nerdy, those devices <laughs> can also be used to create a correction profile for the other ones because they have a different type of sensor in it that is much more precise than the ones that usually go into the devices that just profile monitors. But it's just, I don't want to get too technical with it. So, um, yeah, you know, for me, it just has to work. And yeah. uh, that's what I always. Uh, that is what I always say. And I, I, every tool that I have for retouching is that it just has to work. And um, I don't want to go from myself. Of course, I um, I appreciate if other people like dive into that very much. And I just need to know, hey, uh, this has to work. How do I have to sell it? And uh, I want to do my my color work. I want to get my my work done. This is all tools. And yeah, you want to get to the point where you focus on the right, the important and creative stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's where I uh, where I take my joy from. That is creating and 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 doing. And there are other people that uh, enjoy like setting everything up, build computers and stuff like that. For me, it's just that it has to work, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm one of them. Like, oh, computer and tech stuff is like, yeah, my thing. But that's that's fine. I I really uh, I I envy that because it's. I think it's very cool to dive into that and then you know get the most out of the computer but i don't know it's it's just that um there's certain limit of time to my day since uh, i also do have a family and i i um, um i have to deliver to the clients and i want to have some time for myself so uh this is why i concentrate on getting that done and um and i don't take too much time for for techie stuff so, okay, now that we have covered the hardware side of your retouching, maybe let's go into the the software you're using. So when you get images, um, they go on to your iMac and how do you start working then? And we can go into like a little bit of your workflow uh, while doing that as well. So how does your process look like when you get images? Most of the time, I, I always try to get raw files. These are... Uh, converted in Capture One. I uh, I almost like without any exception use Capture One if if possible, since I think in my experiences the shadow details and uh, some some uh, certain skin colors are just um, in in better quality when you use Capture One. But that's my personal experience. I don't want to push anyone to to do that. Um, so is, is it quite common to to work with medium format files as well? Um, how do you go over these? Does it still happen to you to get files that you cannot process with um, Capture One? Or is that just really rare nowadays? I think it uh, mostly never happens. Let's say 99.5% of the time we get files like either phase one 
or like I don't know whatever camera manufacturer you you name it and uh, of course sometimes there is um, Hasselblad but then uh, you have uh, focus and you can work with that and so you, you gotta be um, prepared for every possible um, file that you can yeah. get. So as a professional, you usually have all different raw converters and different tools to work for yeah different jobs. So um, you, you just mentioned Hasselblad Focus software, and uh, that's maybe one thing some people who are listening to to the podcast do not know is like Capture One you can use to tether shoot from all sorts of cameras, um, they're always adding cameras, but obviously uh, when you are working with Hasselblad files, you you are not able to use Capture One to process the files. And then you have to get yourself a copy of Hasselblad Focus, which is their raw processor and capturing software, which by the way, uh, when you're just working on Hasselblad files, if I'm correct, and it's still the case, you can get that for free. But that's usually what you want to do to process the images. You can use Adobe for it, but I would tend to say that the native processing and color profiles in the Hasselblad software are better because they're just focused on the few camera sensors they have. Absolutely, yes. And um, well, um, then there is, of course, um, two different approaches in, in uh, raw conversion. When you work for clients and especially in advertising, uh, it makes a lot of sense to um, develop the images very neutral so that you do any kind of color work except color correction maybe or setting the white balance in, in Capture One already. But everything else usually happens in Photoshop. Of course, I use Photoshop uh, since it gives uh, me the most compatibility to every project that is coming to my desk. But um, I wanted to to go to a different direction quickly since... Um, I just want to get into this topic a little bit. So just in the past few months, there were on the Adobe side and on the Capture One side, they provided the option to use color profiles on your images. And you just said something that I also support is to do all that stuff later on in Photoshop. Can you explain what the, the difference here is and why you might not want to do that in the stage of raw processing when working for, uh, yeah, on, on big projects or when you have to be flexible? Yes, absolutely. Um, there's two approaches, uh, as I uh, started to say. It is uh, the one is that if you work for commercial projects and many opinions can be involved, uh, it makes a lot of sense to go neutral in your raw conversion because all kind of grading and there are many cool color grading tools in Capture One that you can use to create very unique looks. And of course, you have the power of the raw file, so you can make use of all the data that is in there it is tempting to do that but uh, you don't know if a client changes his mind or like people would like go back to a certain version you would have to do all the retouching work again and you don't want to do that by all costs and means and you want to be um, the most flexible so you create a neutral raw conversion you just or what i do is uh, i just um, set the white balance i just um, work with with a curve to maybe enhance contrast slightly but just a touch 
um, if it's too flat. And uh, the other thing that I do is um, work on the um, color noise and just the regular noise. So that uh, noise reduction, I mean, um, since um, that can, uh, especially in medium format files, can uh, can be there. And um, you need to have a clear base to start from. I recently, if someone might be interested, um, released a uh, Capture One webinar exactly to that topic so um okay where can people find that for those who are interested um there is a recording and on the uh, phase one website and uh, you can find it on youtube i think um there's the recording of it it is called professional color grading for fashion images i think so we um explained it on uh, different uh, sets of fashion images how we approach um like raw conversion and there uh, it is shown that there's a lot of grading options and also spoken about the, the neutral way. But I have to say it's in German. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, nonetheless, uh, you get the point, I think, when you look at it. And uh, But anyway, as I said, trying to, to keep it very um, neutral because that is the, the most flexible workflow for me in, in commercial work. I always teach it the same way because what happens usually is your client comes back with changes. If it's something, you have to go back to the raw processing. Once you've done the raw processing, you're not flexible in terms of we all work non-destructively, but just to a certain point. So once once you started working with layers and once you started copying pixels, like for a skin cleanup or replacing parts in the image like an arm or whatever you cannot go back to the raw processing otherwise you have to redo all the work you've done before and that's what we mean by you usually go over the color grading or look creation in photoshop in one of the layers that come above all of that so you still be flexible in terms of just recreating the mask you might have been done and not affecting your pixel work. That's something I hope every professional teaches to someone who's learning. Yes. And of course, then uh, the, the workflow um, continues in, uh, in Photoshop. And uh, what I do there is I set up the file so that I can uh, be very precise in enhancing the contrast and color. What I mean by that is, so I do the basic retouching pixel work, then I uh, create masks for every kind of element that is in the image so that I can, for example, have a, a mask for the, for the dress, for the skin, for the hair, and for every part of the image so that I can be um, sure that I can work on every piece apart from the other. That allows me to to be uh, yeah super finely adjust uh, certain parts of the image. You have to create masks. You usually cannot just uh, select them by color. Then you you usually are pretty lucky if you if you can use such tools. But it's a good practice um, if you have the time to yeah make these selections and adjust these different. I, different I think it's an essential part if you want to create high end results. You need to put the work in and create precise masks. 
by by the way you enjoy the most maybe but uh, there are many ways to create good masks and uh, that is one very essential thing in my workflow to have super precise masks for for every for every for every part in the image yes oh yeah hundreds of ways to create masks Okay, guys, it's time for a little commercial break. This podcast is brought to you by our retouching studio boutique, retouching.com, but also the learnpostproduction.com platform, which eventually will launch and be an online educational system for all things post-production related. I also want to mention that I just put the retouching masterclass on our website at boutiqueretouching.com. Before you go there, I want to explain what it is. So it's not going to be a regular download tutorial. The retouching masterclass is going to be an over the internet but in-person retouching class where you can work with me as your instructor face to face. We will go over all the issues that you have in your workflow, in your technique and get you where a point where you basically do not need retouching tutorials anymore. So we will push you to your limits and make you a better retoucher with this class. So if you're interested, head over to boutiqueretouching.com in our shop or store. You can get more information about the retouching masterclass. Um, so yeah, and then you, as we said before, you're doing your masking, obviously uh, doing your pixel retouching. And on top of that, probably people can guess by now, then you do color corrections on top of that. Yes, it can be finished by some some special uh, demands uh, if necessary, like a, like a film grain or like, I don't know a global contrast uh, change in the end or something. But um, yeah, the regular workflow is always pixel work, then then light and uh, light and contrast, and then color. Okay, and then you usually export them out. So, how's your? Do you have a certain workflow how you like to export images? Well, most of the time our work goes to the agency. Then I uh, flatten the image and uh, send a TIFF file in either RGB or CMYK color profile. Uh, sometimes you send layered files, so you um, reduce. Um, the, the your working file to uh, let's say the necessary parts that that you uh, give to the agency that they so that they can like move elements around or um, have a certain control um, of I don't know a look or something so that they can adjust it here and there and so um, when we when we give files uh, to the client that are layered we try to uh, minimize the risk of having people uh, like uh, have to work with files they they possibly uh, don't understand the, the whole workflow that uh, we, we yeah. put in it and that comes back to how you structure your work is it's always good practice to not go crazy on layers if you don't need to absolutely just do what is necessary so i i've seen files when people go crazy for every different part on the image they have created copied layers and they're not even trying to clone pixels on empty layers they just copy everything they've done before on a flattened layer and continue working on and at some point 
or sometimes even it's not even possible to make changes all the way through because they have created so many duplicate layers. And if you if you are handed such a file or if you hand such a file over, someone who's opening the file will probably not be able to understand what you've been doing. So it's definitely a good way to train yourself and to reduce the amount of layers you're using. And that comes back to figuring out solutions on how to be efficient is like, do I need to create six or seven different layers to change a color on a certain part of the image? Possibly not. No. Or do I create a mask, right? And um, yeah, just use one curve curves adjustment layer maybe to get the same result yeah of course you can use different adjustment layer to to build up on an effect or on a color of course you you got to know that um, unless you are in um, in capture one or any other raw converter you um, you shouldn't possibly combine working on curves and uh, saturation and everything at the same time in, in raw conversion they work together but in photoshop they work against each other if you use them the wrong way and you can destroy uh, your frequencies or the bands and you you introduce uh, banding or, or or stuff in your image that's possibly um, if you are very unlucky just happens to be uh, visible in print and you need to be aware of that Oh, yes. And people should be aware of if they never work for print is um, just because you cannot see things going on or happening on your monitor or on the screen you're working on doesn't mean all of a sudden in print might appear uh, some some issues with, yeah, with banding or other other issues that you, you maybe cannot yes, see on your workstation. Um, that is something um, that if you have a clean workflow, you possibly won't have that experience. But if you work with many, uh, I think in, in the past it was uh, called like cross curving or something like that. So you, you shouldn't work with one curve in, 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 in one way and put a curve on top that works in the other way. So for, for example, something like that. You definitely need masks to do that. Otherwise, you're destroying the, the information on the image. Yeah. Right. And yeah, after that, uh, so files are handed over, uh, either f either flattened or, or layered, and um, that's it. Then um, the client continues uh, with it and produces the layout and uh, puts it into, for example, InDesign and creates the, the campaign image, uh, combines it with text, and then it's going to be printed or published in any way. Awesome. Yeah, I, and I've just thought as you are one who is experienced in the field of uh, working with a lot of other business types. And are there certain tools you're using uh, that help you on the business side of, of your business and running it? Um, are, are there any tools that you consider mentioning uh, might be helpful for other people, uh, like how you structure your communication or invoicing or product management? There's one thing that is uh, very um, traditional, I'd say. So I have one large uh, empty black book where I always uh, write everything down that I'm working on. <laughs> that is a very important tool for me. And uh, I'm too digital for that. I, I, I cannot stick to notebooks. There are people who, who have this one book they put everything into. And I I could do that, but at some point I wouldn't find where it is. And yeah, I'm not good with that. With that analog stuff. You know, stuff. I, I tried, I tried so many things. I, um, 
I uh, I'm reading um, a lot of um, le reading a lot of books, uh, reading uh, a lot of uh, blogs and 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 uh, news. Or no, let's let's say tech uh, websites. And uh, of course, I'm interested in that. And I am exploring new apps and tools that I uh, use on my smartphone or that I have running on my computer. And there's one thing that I would like to point out. It's, it's Evernote. Evernote is one thing uh, that make, made my life so much easier by just being able to collect uh, all kinds of things from the internet. I can just drag it there i can just save it there for later and i can uh, create lists that are on all my devices and um, so i have my let's say uh, project management management always in evernote so that wherever i am i have it on my laptop i have it on my phone i have it on my computer and uh, it's always there where i need it and i use a, a a web service to to um, have my account uh, account work done, like where I uh, write my um, uh, yeah, invoices, and offers, offers and, and invoices. Yeah. Yes, and um, and I the the rest of this uh, thing is done by my tax accountant and or by um, by our office assistant. I I don't need to do everything by myself. So that is pretty good so um, I can concentrate on getting the um, the, the uh, project done and um, but uh, these are the tools that I use I have to think do I use anything else um, well that's already good advice is like um, people always um, should be looking out what can help them not only on the retention side but also on the business side and that's that might also be very personal so there are tons of solutions out there obviously and you have to also figure out a way if you are running a business and also it might change if you are just this one person freelancer you might be using way different tools than um, if you are working with different people, if you uh, depends on how you want to structure your business, obviously. But Evernote, I think, for freelancers or any note-taking um, app might be a good solution to to start with for every freelancer. Yeah, absolutely. And since Evernote has one really big benefit, um, it is able to um, to identify words. In, in scanned documents so you can just search for a certain word and if you just you know send a scan of or an image of your whatever bill to to evernote uh, it can find it and that makes it so much more powerful than uh, other programs that i used to be working with and that is something that i don't want to miss anymore yeah and i um i think i think that's about everything that i need so yeah, now that, we, that we've talked about the retouching side and a little bit of the tools and business stuff you're using, and there's another super important topic I want to touch on, and that's the topic of work-life balance. So if you're either a freelancer or a business owner, we always tend to overwork yourself. And many of us struggle with work-life balance. So how does it look for you? How do you try to achieve your work-life balance? Well, um, there's two things that come to my mind. The first one is 
that um, if you are lucky enough, and in my case, I'm happy to say uh, I'm having a job that I really enjoy, it doesn't feel like I'm overworking myself. But um, I know where you're headed with this. So, um, of course, I, I have my routines to, um, to structure my day. And especially um, when I was uh, working at home or in, in, a, in a smaller studio, I always had the, the, the urge to have a certain... Um, like signal that it is like the end of the day now so uh, for instance um, since my wife is also a freelancer we we always had the routine to cook a dinner together or to, to go on a long walk in the evening and since I'm having a, a little boy now who's three and a half years old I I find it very important to be there to spend uh, the the late afternoon or the evening with him and bring him to bed so I needed to find a new situation one thing led to the other and I was um, happy that I was able to form a new collaboration with one of my early mentors. And by the beginning of this year, we started working together and collaborating. And uh, it worked out so well that we decided to bring our two businesses together and start a new company. Since we've been working together the whole year now, we decided that it's going to be the 1st of January next year uh, that we start a new company together where we um, have a new situation for me and of course a larger team together so we are like four uh, retouches now that allows me to have more flexibility in working with bigger clients working uh, on larger projects meaning being more profitable and on the other hand allowing myself to uh, and of course to all the others to have a, a regular work time a day so there's no need to do extra hours so you have been working as your freelance business you have been working from home before i've been working at home or in co-working spaces since i um, i'm always drawn to uh, have exchange and to uh, to be around other creatives and being alone at home all the time was okay for certain phases in in my uh, freelance career but i enjoyed it always or i am enjoying it always to be among other creatives don't necessarily have to be like other retouches but being amongst others that are at least familiar with the topic it makes a lot of um, sense to me to every once in a while speak about the projects uh, have some exchange have a, oh, have yeah, a second pair of eyes and you know just be being cooperative to and that lifts my mood up very much i enjoy uh, the the creative exchange and some some things like uh, shared lunch or something that uh, i think that is something that brings a lot of quality to to your everyday life yeah, it definitely can. And I also like the idea and the concept of co-working spaces because you get in an environment that is super creative with working a lot of creatives being designers or startups or whatever it is. And I like the environment, but for myself, I found is like I cannot be in such an usually open space to do my retouching. I have to be boxed in in a super controlled environment that's when i <laughs> when when i work best but i enjoy going to meetups to to meet up with these people as well 
So that's also a personal thing is like, I have to set up my workspace that it's always the same. I am trained to work on this setup basically. And I struggle with being in full daylight and uh, yeah, doing the retouching then. But in terms of the creative input you get uh, in such an environment that's super helpful. Yeah, and I like the idea of going there, but at the same time, I know I either might have phases where I don't get any work done or I struggle with um, being precise and yeah, having no reflections at all and stuff like this. So yeah, super personal. But now you've changed working from home and you are working in an office. So how is it when, when you say you enjoy co-working spaces for these reasons, is it now that you have found the, let's call it the perfect business partner to collaborate with and sharing office basically every day now, is that the, the perfect compromise of being around like-minded people and still having your office that is not always um, yeah, loud and uh, like co-working spaces can be. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think I um, uh, I found a situation um, which is so relaxed and so I don't know. I, I think I never worked in in such a perfect environment for myself, but that means that I am among. A very professional team and as a, as a professional, professional retoucher for more than 25 years now. And, uh, he, um, he used to have a team of, um, two, uh, co-workers that, uh, are with him like 15 years now, since we, we are bringing our two businesses together, it is uh, like offering the, all of us, like a new, um, a new situation where we have an exchange topic wise or like retouching wise on a very, very high level. And, um, that is something that is, at least for me, it was, it was a completely new experience. And, um, so that allowed me to be, um, to be learning, uh, new workflows and, um, to be, um, bringing, uh, in a lot of input myself and we have the best of all, of all worlds now. And, um, since we are a very relaxed team, I think I can say that although we, um, have a lot of projects that are very like time consuming or intense, it is still a very smooth and, um, respectful and, uh, very communicative and also, um, positive and uh, energizing um, surrounding. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be there. And I'm also happy uh, that I can leave work where work uh, belongs and come home to my family and be fully in the moment. And uh, that is what I uh, found very, very valuable for, valuable for me. Yeah, that's super awesome. And also being able to like see the business grow and everything falling together is is super great and also from the outside is when when we have met for the first time and uh, now to have the exchange uh, again and see what happened in between the years and where we've got is is super great and i kind of want to end the episode now um for people who are starting out what would be the number one tip you w would want to give someone who is eager to get into retouching and to make this a business for themselves for from someone who has done that already so what would be your number one tip number one tip okay 
I think reach out to people that are actually there where you want to be. Don't rely on, on, on retouching groups too much. Of course, you can find people there um, that might be interesting. Try to connect with, with people that resonate with you. If you find someone, develop a relationship where you both can bring value to each other. Because it's, I think uh, when you give without expecting, you get so much more back. Uh, even if you are very dependent on the knowledge of the, of the other one, I'm 100% sure that if you open up and you are honest about your situation, there's a lot of other things that you can bring value to the relationship that you have together. And if, if you don't have the chance to be in personal contact with someone you can also um, have uh, online contact with these people and uh, i think at least i don't know anyone in the in the creative industry who is not willing to share some ideas or insight or thoughts or sources of inspiration and of course if someone's starting out today people have so much more options to find resources online and my tip there would be like Try to learn from people that have very decent portfolio. Don't go for people that only create content for tutorials or for uh, like workshops or stuff like that. If you want to learn, but it depends on what you want to learn. If you want to learn to be a professional retoucher in the commercial world, you should most likely talk to these people. If you want to be um, like just polishing up your skills if you want to be uh, like let's say a better amateur retoucher that's also fine it depends on your goal yeah a better hobbyist retoucher then then probably go to the people who are just a professional teacher right absolutely but it depends on your goal if you yeah. if you're aspiring to become a professional retoucher in in the commercial world you should i guess find a mentor there and i think having a mentor is the best and most reliable way to go on the path of becoming a professional retoucher oh yeah that's super great advice now speaking about contacting people how can people contact you so uh, you, your website is janwischermann.de. I will put that in the show notes. So how else could people reach out to you? Um, people can send me an email and uh, it's, it's on the website where I guess you can put the contact information in the show notes. And Yes, it's all going to be in the show notes. Probably not going to spell that out on a podcast, but yeah, it's going to be on the website in the show notes. Right. And uh, of course, um, people can reach me through uh, Facebook, Instagram. And uh, I just happen to find Instagram a very interesting platform for communicating. I don't know why. I just enjoy it. People can contact me there. And since I'm working most of the time during the day, I enjoy responding uh, whenever I find the time uh, through email or any kind of message People can find me on, uh, on creative meetups, in, especially in and around Düsseldorf. There's always interesting conferences, some, some workshops. or and Next time for Dokina, I want to see you there. <laughs> All right. That's arrangeable, I guess. It's uh, going to okay, in Ma that, March. So that's a done deal. It's now on record and we have to do it. We have to follow through. <laughs> All right. So we can, of course, meet at Fotokino. It's uh, always nice to especially meet uh, international uh, retouching fellows over there. And 
Well, what else? I do have uh, a podcast myself where um, I'm not only speaking with, let, let's say, retouching colleagues, but uh, many interesting people from the creative industry. Um, there's one episode that is in English, but the rest is... Is unfortunately in German, right? In German language, yes. And if people have not noticed before, we're Germans, we have German accents. So yeah, deal with it. And your podcast is called Game of Creativity. And you, they, people can find it on iTunes and everywhere usually people can find podcasts on, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, to, the easiest way to contact me is to shoot me some lines through any kind of messenger or uh, email. And um, I'm happy to respond. Uh, please bear with me if it takes some time because I uh, do have a certain uh, time. Uh, and um, But I'm happy to answer questions. And I'm, of course, willing to share my, uh, my knowledge or my thoughts on uh, if people should have questions to what we have talked about. Yeah, now you're probably getting like a hundred emails a day from people <laughs> asking like, oh, how do you like my image? So yeah, again, it was a pleasure to have you here. One of the most interesting and in-depth episodes we have recorded so far. So we've been talking a lot about the business of retouching, especially agency-related retouching. And I think that was super exciting to go through, super exciting to catch up with you again. Um, always great to have a chat with you. Yeah, Jan, thanks for making the time also and being so open about your business and uh, your experiences you've made. us is that we have the passion for this job. I think it's good to encourage people to follow uh, into this creative area because there's so much work to be done and there's so much cool things that we can do. So gather around people. It's a good place. Oh, yes. People stick around. Again, um, you can reach Jan on his website. Uh, I will put his website in the show notes, Facebook, Instagram, Behance and all that stuff I will put in the show notes. Jan, thanks again for being our guest. It was nice to hang out and yeah, let's do that again. And let's meet at the next Fotokina. I'm super excited about it as well. So thanks again. Thank you and uh, have a good day. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. So that was it for today. It's a wrap episode number 22 of the Let's Talk Retouching podcast. Thank you for sticking around for that long. And I really would appreciate if you liked the podcast in general to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcasting app. And I see you in the next episode. And that was my cat saying goodbye basically the same way as she ruins every podcast recording I am about to do.